Welcome everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host, Carson Brabber, and today we are coming off of not the most eventful week in tennis, but an interesting one nevertheless. Had a couple of 250s on both the men's and the women's side, but I think the biggest story in the sport right now and what we probably have to start with is the development surrounding the Australian Open's COVID policy, where the public statement had been, if you are not vaccinated, you are not going to be able to play here. Our expectation is our fans are vaccinated, our employees are vaccinated. Why would we not hold the players to the same standard? That had been the public messaging. And then there was an email leaked that The Guardian wrote about earlier today, or actually I believe it was yesterday, that basically said that there would actually be a quarantine policy and that as long as players produced a negative test and abided by that quarantine policy, then they would be allowed to participate in the tournament. And obviously the major significance of this is the ability of Novak Djokovic to participate because he is the biggest unvaccinated star in the sport. And, uh, I think that this is obviously a complex issue because I think that there is validity in saying, hey, we are going to apply the same standard to the players that we do to everybody else. I also think, though, that there is a difference between being in a crowd of, say, 15,000 people and being on a ground with many more people than that, as opposed to being a player who is a particularly high-profile individual who is sort of fundamental to the perceived integrity of the result, right? If the best players aren't there, then people aren't going to perceive it as being completely legitimate in some sense, who are going to drive revenue, all these things. I think that it is a little bit ignorant to pretend that there is no justification for special treatment. Because, again, a player who is on a court 40 feet away from the nearest person to them and sure they're interacting with the ball people and what have you, but that's a very small number of people, all of whom are again, fully vaccinated and the player is tested. That to me is a pretty safe procedure. Now I absolutely believe everybody should be vaccinated. I think it is frankly foolish if you aren't and Djokovic's opposition to this for him as an individual, his avid belief in holistic medicine and all these various things and his skepticism. I don't think it's, really founded in reality in any way. And I think that it is not for the betterment of overall society. However, ultimately, although perhaps the most moral upstanding, quote unquote, correct thing to do would be to say, hey, you are not permitted to participate here. I don't know if that is actually the best approach here, because again, you want Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. You want the guy who has been the most successful player in your tournament's history, who is the biggest star in the sport there, especially given the ongoing health concerns with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. You need star power, and I'm not saying that that's going to justify some sort of moral transgression, but I don't think that's quite what this is. I actually think that this would be justifiable regardless. I think that this would apply for any player. I think that it is worth having people at the event. Again, you are ensuring that they have tested negative, they are quarantining, and they are going to be in an environment with overwhelmingly vaccinated individuals. Every staff member who they might interact with, every fan who is going to be watching them in the crowd is going to be vaccinated. And that, to me, has given you 
the level of protection that is necessary to say, okay, we can proceed here. It's not great, maybe. It's not ideal. It would be better if everybody was 100% fully vaccinated. That would be the ideal situation. But when you are at a vast majority of players, and again, everybody else at the facility, I think that you are okay to proceed like that. That's what we've seen in the NFL. That's what we've seen in the NBA, with the exception of New York and California, who have said, hey, our home players have to all be fully vaccinated. But by the way, even they are allowing away players to come in and participate if they are not fully vaccinated, which to me is just sort of an irrational discrepancy there. So again, I think that this is at the point where tennis is a sport that inherently leads to social distancing. There's not going to be a whole ton of human contact. And if everybody else around you is protected, then you are likely to be protected as well. So Maybe it's not pretty. Maybe it's not ideal. It'd be great if everybody would get vaccinated. But at the same time, you have to operate within the reality in which you exist. And that is the reality in which we exist right now. It's that not all 128 players in every field are going to be vaccinated. And I think it is worth having them for the sake of competition, for the sake of entertainment there. And I think that we have reached the point again where this is not going to be a major threat to the people who are there physically because they are sufficiently protected. So that is my take on that. We'll see where this all ends up. Publicly, some government people have come out and said, well, actually, we, you know, nothing is final, first of all, but we do still believe in the same standard of, hey, if everybody else is vaccinated, the players should be as well. We'll see how this all develops. But I wanted to weigh in on that because obviously there are major ramifications. If Novak Djokovic cannot be at the 2022 Australian Open, that is a major storyline and we will continue to track how that develops. So that's something major to walk for at the beginning of next year. But I think we also have a pretty interesting story developing as this year winds down. Because, of course, everything is always going to be about the big three in the sport of tennis kind of until they are no longer walking around dominating everybody. And I touched last week about sort of the development in uh, the transition of power, not in that their level has dropped off as far as Djokovic and Nadal, but just in that they are not as present. They are so much more willing to rest. They are more often injured. All these things to make it where it's not like these guys are winning every single 1,000 every more. They're winning a vast majority of the slams. They're still beating kind of everybody in a best-of-five format. But there is sort of that opportunity for other people to step up because Novak Djokovic has played nine tournaments this year. Nadal has played seven. Fed has played, I want to say, four. So it's just different. But as we look at sort of that transition, I think that there's an interesting thing happening really on the back half of the top 10. And that is that there have been these clear next few guys after Djokovic and Nadal in tennis for really this past year plus since the tour came back. And that has been Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, and Rublev. Those guys have all clinched their spots in Turin, where the ATP year-end finals will be taking place. After that, Berrettini is very likely to earn himself a spot. He's had a phenomenal year as well. But then the last couple spots, it's going to be really interesting to track because if you look at 7 through 11, Casper Rudd through Cam Norrie, 
Those guys are separated by less than 300 points. And in between those two, you have Rafa Nadal, you have Urkosh, and you have Yannick Sinner, who just had another phenomenal tournament and stormed through the field in Antwerp and won his fourth title of the year. The guy is just in unreal form. So that's really the only major event that we have remaining this year is the year-end finals. And obviously, we don't know exactly what Rafa's status is going to be health-wise. We have not seen him recently, and so maybe he's just not there entirely, which would be really interesting, honestly. I want to see the best players there, of course, always. That's kind of what I was just talking about with Djokovic. But it's also going to be fun to see those other guys jostle for position. And I say that there's really only one big tournament left, and that is the year-end finals. But we do have a significant opportunity for some jostling here in Vienna this week, which is a 500 a decent amount of points on the line. It's a really good draw. You've got Sitsipas in there. You've got Zverev in there. You've got Berrettini in there. And then you have all the guys who I mentioned, with the exception of Rafa. You have Kasper Rudd in there. You have Herkosh. You have Yannick Sinner. You have Cam Nori. And so it is really going to come down to it. Because, look, it's not out of the question that especially Sinner could go out there and win the whole tournament. I mean, he has been in unbelievable form on hardcourt this year. Again, we've seen him rack up the four titles. Maybe he goes out there and pulls it off. So that's something that is really interesting to me because these guys have had very different years, even though their point totals have ended up being so similar. Nori, obviously, just kind of a complete one-off with the title at Indian Wells, like a freak kind of incident where he's had a good year overall. I mean, he's had a career year without a doubt. He's 47-20. and 20. He's also just played in a ton of tournaments. And he had one title previously, but that was, again, just kind of blindsiding. And I still don't think his talent is necessarily comparable to some of the other guys on this list. We saw Rude beat him 0-2 just a couple weeks ago in San Diego. And then you do have Herkosh, who is, in his own right, very dependent on that one title in Miami, his Masters 1000. And then you have Rude, who has just been punishingly consistent, 49-13, five titles, Seen him be overwhelmingly good on clay, but also pretty darn good on hard. And then you have Sinner, 42-18 and 18 with his four titles. Another guy who has been more consistent and has been dominating some of those lower-level tournaments and also did make the final in Miami. So any of those guys, to me, in Turin, definitely not something that I would have predicted before the year. And I have been a huge Casper Rudd guy. I said that he was my breakout candidate last year. But I did not expect him to be among the top eight players in the world. I said that I expected Sinner to be a top 15 guy this year before the season began. So maybe I'm not shocked by that. But nevertheless, very, very impressive for a 20-year-old. And it's just new faces. Like, even though Herkosh and Cam Nori aren't the youngest guys, they are definitely wild cards in this conversation. And so we'll see how that all plays out. We'll see who can sort of get the best of that little mini race that we have towards the end of this year. But I think that that is going to be very interesting. And then obviously, you know, we're going to be missing a big gun in Roger Federer. Not going to be there. We may be missing a big gun in Rafa Nadal. We'll see what happens there. But it's going to be exciting to see who can get the best of this race towards the end of the year. And by the way, if Novak Djokovic does not participate, well then, we have two spots open. And that would be really, really interesting. So... We'll see how that all goes down. On the, other, on the other half of the break here, we'll talk a little bit about what we did see this past week in some of those 250s. You're listening to Down the Line on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. 
Welcome back, everybody. So I mentioned on the first half of the show here that Sinner just rolled through Antwerp and he didn't lose more than seven games in a single match. The dude was just in unbelievable form. And we've continued to monitor his evolution. I have said many times over that I think he's a future world number one, Grand Slam champion, all these things. Compared his success at this stage to the big three, wasn't quite at the level of Rafa Nadal or Novak Djokovic, those guys were winning slams at 20, but pretty much where Roger Federer was at, maybe even a little bit further along, a guy who really has the skills on all three surfaces. We've seen him win a lot of meaningful matches on clay, but hard is definitely, I would say, where he's at his strongest, and he just doesn't really have a weakness in his game. I mean, he has the power off both wings, he has the serve, he moves well, he's got good touch, like, he's just kind of a machine, and you see it here. He's going up against a guy like Diego Schwartzman in the final, and he's just overpowering him. And it just looks like, frankly, a man playing against a boy. And this is a 20-year-old who is dominating, a guy who has been around on tour and been a relevant player for the better part of a decade and has been a top 10 guy, and he just looks like he's on a different level. So his evolution up to this point is outstanding, and I really think that it's only a matter of time until we see him go out there and win a Masters 1000. And I don't know about a slam in the immediate future, but if the field opens up, if we get another instance where Rafa's not there, Djokovic isn't there, or one of the two loses early, I don't think he's far off from being one of the guys who could capitalize on that. I think that right now you have to have him below the tier of, of course, Medvedev, who we've seen do it, a healthy Dominic team, whenever we see that again. Another guy who I should have mentioned as being a big-time player who will not be in Turin this year, which is certainly unexpected at the beginning of the year. He's another guy who's done it, and then you have Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev as the next best candidates. But I think that Sitsi, but I think that Sinner makes a strong case as that next guy or with Berrettini as those next two guys. And I think that he's going to get to a final sooner rather than later. It's just about putting it together in a best-of-five format. It can be challenging, but his progression from the French Open last year when he had his first kind of whoa performance and got to the quarters there, it has just been ongoing improvement and, frankly, dominance against kind of everybody other than the top guys since then. So the dude is just balling. His best competition in this one was Lorenzo Musetti, which I love to see as a major fan of both of them. I've said I think that they can both be future world number ones out of Italy, same generation. Musetti was fun to watch here. I mean, he was creative. He was varying the pace and whatnot, but he's just not as far along as Sinner is yet, and he doesn't have the weapons, and I don't know if he ever will have that power and that pace, although he can crank on the ball as well. So Sinner, to me, is the story of the week. Because he just keeps on winning at this level and is so impressive. We did see in Moscow, though, A, Rublev lose to Manorino in his first match. A match in which he had a match point. Which just to me is not alarming. But just a reflection of the fact that, again, and maybe this is obvious, but this next tier of guys is just not on the same tier as what we saw from the big three for so long. The consistency. And I talked about this last week, but, like, you just never saw even Andy Murray lose to Monterino, not a guy of that tier. And he's a good player, played a good match, but there's just such a clear talent gap when you're watching, and that's just what this generation needs to clean up. But what we also saw was his countryman, Aslan Karatsev, 
go out there and win a title on his home turf. His second title of the year. He's now up to world number 19. And another guy who is kind of knocking on the door of the race to Turin. I mean, some crazy things would have to go right. But he is, I believe, 13th in that race as far as points earned in the year of 2021 goes. And obviously, a super fun player. Super weird. A guy who just sprouted up out of nowhere in his late 20s. He's 28 now and up until this year hadn't even been a guy on tour. And we've talked about his journey before, but it's been pretty impressive. But his game is just super fun. I mean, he's deceptive. He's got nuts power. He varies the pace. He's just another really entertaining Russian. Russian tennis right now is really in a phenomenal place. And so props to him, man. Another guy who, again, just found a way to win. On the women's side in Moscow, we saw Kontovite go out there and win and had a couple good wins, rolled over Muguruza 1-1 one and one at one point. She's now 40-15 and 15 on the year with three titles. That is very impressive. And then I think that you know maybe the second most relevant title of the week is Ann Lee winning a tournament as well. And she went out and did that in Tenerife, and I thought that that was kind of unexpected. I mean, it's really... Not a good draw. She's not beating any world beaters out there. But Ann Lee, for those of you who don't know, 21-year-old American. She was a really good junior finalist at the Junior Wimbledon in 2017 and doesn't have an overwhelming game. Doesn't really have any major weapons that jump out at you. But a player who I still think kind of knows how to win matches and has had a couple moments on tour this year. So it's significant for her to go out there and win a title, even if it's not a particularly big one, even if the competition is not great, and maybe the best player she beat in this draw was Elise Cornet. Like, it really was not a tough path to get there. But she's 23-13 and 13 on the year now. She has a title. She's inside the top 50 in the world. Like, these things matter, and she's making her way as a legitimate pro now, which is very good to see and has pretty consistently been you know, getting out of the first round in tournaments, I mean, she wasn't able to do it in Indian Wells, she wasn't able to do it in the U.S. Open, but in a lot of the small tournaments, has been winning matches, and props to her for that. So, again, not the most eventful week in tennis, but an interesting one nonetheless. Seeing the young players step up is always engaging to me, and now we are going to have a pretty fun week in Vienna. I mean, some of the first round matchups here are phenomenal, like honestly, Almost all of them. These are the first five in the draw from the top down. Tsitsipas Dimitrov, Lajovic Tiafo, Monfi Musetti, Fognini Schwartzman, Kasparud against Lloyd Harris. Like, that's really fun tennis. We already saw Alcaraz had a great win over Dan Evans, beat him 4-3, and three, had some really exciting points in that one. We've already seen Dimonar beat Kevin Anderson. Dimonar, always good to see him out there winning matches. Like... A lot of the bottom half of the draw has played their first rounders, but it's going to be fun to watch. I really like those compact draws that you just get kind of a good match every single time. When it's in Europe, if it's a 500 like this, if it's on hard, you're just going to get kind of a loaded group. And we all saw Andy Murray beat her Kosh. That's really exciting, obviously. You love to see Murray winning matches, and he's just kind of finding a way out there right now. So... That's going to be a fun one to track. But after that, again, it's kind of about the year-end finals. It's in Guadalajara for the women. It's in Turin for the men. And 
it's going to be fun to watch. And so that's what we have our eyes set on for now, hoping that as many people as possible are healthy, hoping the quality is high, and seeing who we actually end up getting there. Because Herkosh, you know, maybe shot himself in the foot a little bit with that loss there. I mentioned the other three guys who are in the field. We'll see if they can get it done. Should be a lot of fun. So keep your eyes on that. And really just enjoy the tennis that we have because we are winding down this year. But the good news is tennis never really stops. You know, we'll have a month off and then we'll be back tuning up for the Australian Open, having the ATP Cup. And then, of course, we will be in Melbourne, which is going to be oh so much fun. So stay tuned for all of that. Hope you're enjoying the tennis. Hope you enjoyed this show. And as always, I've been Carson Brabber. This was Down the Line. You are listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. 